The following podcast is sponsored by City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The following program is not ashamed of the gospel and is about to tell you the truth. Youth ministry feels like it's a little bit under attack. That we feel that, you know, whether it be the family ministry movement or intergenerational ministry, people are starting to question, is youth ministry valuable anymore? And we start feeling that way. And and then all of a sudden we ask ourselves, am I going in the right direction? Did I invest in in the right way? And, And so during this time, I spent a lot of time by myself and I just started thinking about why the church needs youth ministry. I mean, several thousand years ago, Jesus called a group of teenagers together And literally, he used them to help spread his message and literally change culture, change the world, change life as we know it to this very day. Even people that that aren't following Jesus are benefiting from the work of the gospel set loose on this earth. And he started with a group of teenagers. And, and it's pretty remarkable when you think about it. And, and ever since then, I believe that it's been the youth in our churches that help us to continue to push that envelope, to keep us from becoming stagnant and stale in what it is that we're doing and what it is that we're about. You're listening to Thinking Out Loud with Pastor Walt McFadden. Pastor Walt, you're starting a new series in your pulpit ministry at your church, and it's about the pastoral epistles. And what are those? First and Second Timothy and Titus. And why are those so important? Why did you decide to say, this is a series I want my congregation to hear and learn about? Well, it's a transfer of power and authority and really the whole church from one generation to the next. This is happening during the writing of First, Second Timothy and Titus all across Christendom. From Jerusalem to Rome, the old guard is getting old, and some of those guys are going to be martyred. Peter, James, and Paul will be martyred. So the fate of the church will be left in the hands of the next generation. It's something the church has never experienced before. And so I have a passion and concern for the church today and its relationship to the next generation and how we approach the next generation. I believe we haven't tapped into what Jesus did in the Gospels, that is to to prepare a young generation to take over the church and bring the gospel to the world. I believe that opportunity still is there, and we have a generation that's hungry for relationship, for direction, for truth. Yesterday, I was very impressed with the fact that you had a lot of what I would say are your disciples. They're younger men who you have discipled over the last, let's just say, 20 years. And they've grown into men, young men who are leaders. Now, where did you get this vision? A lot of people in in your age group and your experience, they don't see the next generation as a major priority in their ministry. You do. Where'd that come from? Well, the first place it came from was the absence of an effective spiritual leader in my home growing up. My father was not the spiritual leader. I didn't know how to be a man, let alone a godly man. He taught me how to work, to work hard, some of the basics, and that work ethic is still in my life, but he never taught me how to lead my wife and my children and be a godly man. And I became passionate about that and knew that there was something missing in my life. And I wanted to share my experiences and the knowledge that I had gained over the years about what it meant to be a godly man. 
And so I just began to share my story, and I would hear over and over again, well, that was my father, that was my situation, not just from young men, but from young women as well. And the myth in our culture is that women are the ones that are not doing well. That's a myth. Men are absolutely dropping out of life, of the workplace, of school. And Timothy is a young man, and Paul is an older man, and they've had a lot of miles together. There's about a 15-year relationship here that's been established before Paul is in the process of handing things over to Timothy. He is, in essence, becoming the pastor of the church in Ephesus. That is a huge responsibility because that was sort of a hub a center to bring the gospel to the rest of Turkey, large region, large area. And Timothy is going to have some tremendous weight of responsibility on his shoulders. And so teaching young people the plan of God for gender, for family life, for the church, for authority in the church, all of those things is something that I think is needed in the church. And I hope it'll be a blessing not only to our own church, but to other churches and other ministries as well. When I first came into your church, into the church you pastor, I was struck by the fact that it is a younger congregation. And you don't have lights and fog machines and silly things that I think sometimes people think they need to attract the younger generation. You're attracting them. They're here. Why? Because of relationship, because we're doing it biblically. We're doing it the way Jesus taught us to do. If I were to recommend a book, I would recommend the book, Are You a Christian or a Disciple? I highly recommend that book, but it just explains in detail and very practical ways how Jesus discipled his disciples and the plan of God all along. The plan of Jesus was multiplication. If you think about Jesus had his intimate friend, John, then he had his three, then he had his 12, and then he multiplies that out to 72, which I think in theory could have been taking his 12 disciples, dividing them into six groups of two and telling each group of two, now you go and disciple another group of 12. And they are called apostles. They are sent out. And what are they sent out to do? They're sent out to heal the sick, cast out demons, and preach the gospel. What is the gospel? It is in essence and essentially the Sermon on the Mount, the words that Jesus taught his disciples. And it was a brand new message that the world had never heard before, a message of love and kindness and forgiveness of God's love for us, a message of repentance, a message that our culture needs to hear today and that young people are ready. But without relationship, you know, when you look at John chapter 15 and you listen to Jesus' words about the vine dresser and the the branches and the vine. He talks about fruitfulness and he talks about joy. There's no joy in the church today. And I'm talking about the broader church. There's a defeatism. The church is on decline. 90% of churches are on decline. This has been happening for 40 or 50 years. This is not new. You can't have joy unless you have fruit. If a farmer doesn't have a harvest, he doesn't have something to say, I produce this, something to give himself some pride. There's no joy. There's no joy in the church because we don't have fruitfulness. We don't have fruitfulness because we are not investing in the next and younger generation. And we haven't in the church. I think it's been for financial reasons because they don't give. You have a young church and you have 20-somethings, although the 20-somethings and 30-somethings in my church are very generous. They need to be taught. They need to be discipled. They have to have something beyond Sunday morning. There's always going to be the smoke machine churches. There's always going to be that crowd to be attracted. But I pray that the church would start a new movement of investment in the 
younger generation, and it only happens by relationship. As I watch you minister from Sunday to Sunday, one of the things that catches my ear and my eye is that you're very relational to your congregation. Before and after service, you're amongst the people. You're talking with them. You're praying for them. A lot of pastors don't do that. You know, They're gone wherever after church service. But you're a teaching pastor as well. So you're not only teaching them, but you're modeling it as well. You have a concept that you have talked about several times about a healed church or that the church needs healing. What do you mean by that? Well, I think it begins with pastors. Pastors don't want to be in a relationship because they don't know how long they're going to be in a church. They don't feel a sense of job security. Something upwards of two-thirds of pastors say they've thought about quitting in the last couple of months. One of the things that we'll find as we go through this time in First, Second Timothy and Titus is the relationship of the people to the pastor and how the pastor is worthy of honor. That's an awkward thing to preach when you are the one who's going to get the honor and get the wages and so forth. But we haven't taken very good care of our pastors. I've known pastors who just do not want to be in relationship. I remember years ago candidating for a youth pastor position, and the pastor told me, I believe the pastor needs to be away from the people. They drain him. They suck the life out of him. They'll be too critical. I can't be close to people. That is the exact opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus said, I am the gate. And what did that mean? The shepherd would have a place in the field where he would make a fence of stones, and he wanted the sheep to come in and out quickly, and he himself would become the door or the gate that filled in that remaining gap. And he would lay there at night and sleep by the sheep in order to protect them from predators. So that kind of image of shepherding, there's all kinds of warnings through the scripture about how the shepherd has distanced themselves, has abused the sheep, has taken advantage of the sheep. I've just found it very rewarding, at times discouraging, at times to feel insulted even and put down. But I've just found too much reward in being close to the people. And you really don't belong in the ministry if you don't love people. That is your business. Well, the book of Jeremiah is very clear on that. Many shepherds are about themselves. And God is not happy when shepherds are only concerned about themselves. By the way, my first attempt at Bible school or attending a Bible university, that was what I was taught. Now, this goes back a few years, but they would say, my professor would say, don't get close to people because they need sort of a model that is untouchable in order for the sermons to really have an impact. I just thought that was not right. You know, I think people need to see your warts once in a while. Absolutely. Because it shows you're human and that you really know about spiritual things and the human dimension of life rather than somebody that's just on a pedestal somewhere. I frequently hear the comment, I can't believe I'm in a study with my pastor or a group with my pastor and he's honest about his struggles. That means a lot to young people. They want you to be real. I just don't see any place in scripture where we're told to distance ourselves from the sheep. And what Jesus modeled for us was an intimate relationship. Paul carries that on. That DNA is in him. He probably takes Timothy when he's 14 or 15 years of age and convinces his mother and grandmother, I want to take this guy and travel across the Roman Empire. Now, (laughs) Paul had just been stoned. He just came with one inch of losing his life, and he's going to convince Timothy and his mother and grandmother, I want him to travel with me. They probably thought, I'm never going to see Timothy again. 
But he did, and he traveled with him on the remainder of that second missionary journey. The third missionary journey, his journey to Rome, was there during his imprisonment. Timothy became his main guy, and we don't know too much more about Timothy in church history, but he was a central figure in the life of the church. And all of these guys were Titus and Clement of Rome, was a disciple of Peter. John had Polycarp and then Ignatius. There was a transfer of the guard. They were very good, and they stayed very closely to that model. And what you saw was the church kept that model going until you came to the third century, and then you had this explosive growth of Christianity. Some would give credit to Constantine for that, but I think it just was the time was right, and they had seen so much evidence of this new life, this new kingdom, this new lifestyle, this incredible love that they had never seen before, and the care and concern for the poor was a big deal. All of those things had to be modeled, and most people back then didn't read and write. You had to learn by oral tradition, and you had to learn by example, but it gave a sense of belonging, a sense of identity that people don't have today. Not everybody's going to be receptive to this kind of message. Not everybody is going to follow. Jesus was constantly cleaning house. We just want to go for the masses. As Even as I talk about it, it just frustrates me how all we want is numbers and budgets and all of those things. And we our foundation is so weak and so frail. If we start over again and we have this renaissance of discipleship, we will have a healed church. We will have a church that has a strong enough foundation. We can see things are heating up. Things are ramping up. There are attacks on the church all the time and attacks on our religious freedom, so-called religious freedom. What if that religious freedom goes away? Are we prepared for the church to be underground? Whether or not that happens, it's not the point. The point is we should always be ready for the church to go underground. One of the Sunday days not too many weeks ago, I went down into the youth room in our church, and you were there with all of the youth, along with the youth pastor and so forth, and you were mingling with them. And I thought that was a little bit strange, because that's not usually what the senior pastor does. That's left up to the youth pastor. Why were you there? Well, I'm there to teach and train, but I'm also there because I have a passion for the youth, and I feel that I have something to say. We've got it backward in the church. Kind of realized this when we hired our first official youth pastor here. And I thought, we're going to take this guy. He's got a wife. He's got a young kid, baby, toddler. And we're going to send him on a mission trip away from his family for two weeks. My kids are grown. They're out of the house. I can go on mission trips. And my wife is fine with that. And I went through that four or five weeks of summer. My wife would be off for nine weeks. She was a teacher. And I'd be gone for four or five weeks, two weeks of camp, a week of fishing camp, eight or ten days of a mission trip. I was gone a lot, and those are key moments for us. And I just made a decision. I'm not going to put my youth pastor through that. There are other things that he can do. He can take care of the lock-ins, and he can take care of the rowdy parties that I don't want to be a part of anymore. But I have a passion for our youth workers, our youth pastors. I just think we have it wrong. And we take a person who is in his 20s usually, sometimes 22, 23, four years older than the oldest person in high school, and then they're supposed to dispense their great wisdom to that person. And I made a lot of foolish mistakes. It was good to learn on the job, but one pastor 
pastor that I worked for, when I began, he came down to youth group when he was candidating and visited our youth group. And he said he was quite impressed with what we had going on down there. And then he was hired and never saw him again in the youth group, not one time in the 10 years that he was there. I'm not angry with him or or frustrated with him. I just think that's the way he was taught as well. We hire the youth pastor to take care of the youth. Instead of thinking about the fact that all of these disciples of Jesus were 15, 16 years of age, we think of Peter, John, and James as these grown men. They were not. They were 18, 20 years old when they took over the church. Jesus did his job well, and he set a pattern for us that we can copy and we can imitate. Well, we're thinking out loud today about investing in the next generation. So your preaching through First and Second Timothy and Titus will have a lot to do with investing in the next generation, at least part of that. So what recommendations do you give to other leaders, for example, about the youth? How do they get involved? Because I think sometimes, to be quite honest, we're afraid of youth because we don't think we can relate to them, especially as an older person. Well, they don't care about what I have to say or to think, but that's not true, is it? No, it's not true. I was 16 years of age yesterday. Life goes fast. I have a story to tell. I can remember the things that I felt when I was 16. And I remember the bully. And I remember the girl that I liked. And I remember all those things. And they're willing to listen. And they have a lot of questions. Young men, young women today... They have no context like we have. They have no context in life. They don't know how to examine history. They like to debate. They like to talk. They like to kind of figure things out. But they're hungry for that foundation. It's something instinctual. And my advice is just start hanging out with them. Take them out. Every young person is hungry. You could start there. I was starving all the time when I was growing up. You couldn't feed me enough. And I remember my pastor took me out a couple of times. And that meant a lot to me that he was spending time and invested. He came to my high school Bible study one time and led the Bible study. That meant a lot to me in my life that he would invest. And those were just kind of key moments in my life as a young person, just really struggling with identity, my chaotic home and coming to church and just the chaos of my life. Those young men, pastors, teachers who invested in me, I felt I owed something not only to pay back, but to expand that. Some of my pastor friends are with the youth as well as I am, as I'm kind of thinking in my mind and have concern for them and care for them. But something broader needs to happen. We're kind of afraid You know, that if the youth come in, we have to have loud music and drums and all that kind of stuff. Well, you do. You do. But the reward is the fruitfulness and the excitement. There's nothing that gets older people more excited than seeing the next generation is hungry for God. They are learning and will come to the point where they will take over. Instead of putting them off somewhere where you can't even observe and see what they're doing, then it's just sort of this conspiracy, like, oh, when are they coming to take over? Or what, what's going to happen? We're going to lose our church. I remember hearing that all the time in my previous church. We're losing our church. We're lo- No, you're not. You're not losing your church. You're just doing things the wrong way. When you read through the Old Testament, Pastor Walt, one of the things you notice is that the move of God is very generational. You have people that get get excited, on fire for the Lord. And that generation sort of leaves. And if that generation doesn't inspire the next generation, you're going to find a dead church or a dead spiritual movement. And I think that's what a 
American churches are feeling today. I mean, it's all gray hairs in many churches. It's different at City View, the church you pastor. There's a few gray hairs and a few bald guys, but uh, generally speaking, it's pretty young. All I can say is Jesus set a pattern for us. We should copy it. The key verse, I'll, I'll end with this. I keep going back to 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. The things you have seen and observed in me and trust a faithful men who will in turn be able to teach others. The Lord spoke to me. I was chasing people outside the church and he said, you got guys in here that need discipleship. You are not investing in the faithful men. And I just picked some guys. And I thought, okay, this, these are faithful guys. But in the back of my mind, I thought it still wouldn't last. Maybe six months we'll do this and they'll get bored with it. And five, six years later, I have some of the same guys in my group and some others have gone on to lead their own discipleship groups. There is a way to do it. There is a system. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the future. And that's my last question to you. When people tune in in the future, what are they going to hear out of First and Second Timothy? Give us a little snippet of some of the themes you're going to address. We're going to talk about gender, and I'll make a statement. Men and women are different, and we're going to talk about that. And there'll be some humor in it, but some people might get offended, but it's just a plain and simple fact. Just coming from that alone is controversial in our country, but making that statement, men and women are different, is now controversial. We're going to address that. Men and women have different roles. There is a system of authority in the church. We all have different roles. Those are some of the things that I'm going to address as I move through, and it will be controversial, but I won't shy away from any of it. Well, it's thinking out loud, right? That's right. There are almost 400,000 churches in America, so there are many choices. So what is your criteria for attending church? And I fear that some of you started coming to this church because you wanted a happy family. You wanted a happy marriage. You wanted happy kids. You wanted a good family relationship. And you realize, you know what, I think God could grant me that. So let me go to the church and ask him for that. But my concern is this. If that's your motivation for following God, then really God has become a means to an end for you. Well, then suddenly God just becomes someone you use and this means to an end rather than believing that God is the end himself. Well, City View is a church in the city for the city. Our services focus on worship, prayer, and providing you with the truth from God's Word. There's no spin when it comes to telling you the truth about life and how to live it according to God's plan. City View Church, located at 3041 4th Avenue South in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Our Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and please let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud. Please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org.